Today's episode of the Fieldhouse Files is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing or ready to learn, or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to fieldhouse.robinhood.com. That's fieldhouse.robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not an investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co forward slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. And welcome into another episode of The Fieldhouse Files. I'm Scott Agnes. Well, on this episode, I'll talk with Eddie Gill. He played almost 200 games in the NBA and was with the Pacers during the 2004-05 and 2005-06 seasons. He's spent many years abroad overseas playing for many different teams and retired in 2012 and is called Indianapolis home. But first, I think it's amazing that we're already halfway through this season. It's January 16th. And the Pacers are 26-15. and 15. That's good for fifth in the East, just ahead of Philadelphia. And Victor hadn't even played a game yet. And three other players have missed 10 or more games. They've had 125 games lost due to injury. And yet, they're right there in the thick of things. In the East, I think there's really Milwaukee. Um, they're 36-6. and six. And then there's that next tier of teams that includes Miami, a real surprise this year. Boston, Toronto, Indy, and then Philly. And this week on The Athletic, I wrote my midseason report card where I went around the locker room and asked each of the nine players that are firmly in the rotation for their individual evaluations. And then earlier this week, I also wrote about Demonis Sabonis' candidacy for an all-star spot. And as I record this Thursday afternoon, the third returns were recently released earlier in the day, and he's still ninth among frontcourt players but that really won't matter. He will need and should be voted on, I think, by the conference coaches. And another guy that has a strong case for the Pacers is Malcolm Brogdon. It'll just be interesting to see how much they'll factor in his availability and his health um, in making the case. But the Pacers host the Timberwolves on Friday. Yeah, they just played them on Wednesday. It's a weird home-and-home -home situation. They'll actually do the same thing with the Toronto Raptors early into February. But they played in Minnesota Wednesday night. They'll be an Indy Friday night. And then the Pacers head out west for a five-game, nine-day road trip with stops in Denver and Utah. That's a back-to-back. -back. Then Phoenix, San Fran. That's the first time we'll be able to visit the Chase Center. And then we'll wrap up the trip in Portland. Oh, and then no big deal. It's the return of Victor Oladipo on January 29th against Chicago. So that's certainly something we are all um, looking forward to. I talked with our national reporter, Sham Sharania, about it on a recent episode. So check that out in case you missed it. But now let's get to it. Here's my conversation with former Pacer and current analyst, Eddie Gill. All right, as promised, I welcome in Eddie Gill, the Pacers analyst on Fox Sports Indiana and occasionally on the Pacers radio network as well. And Eddie, we're, we've somehow reached the halfway point already to the season. And that's what I mainly want to discuss on this podcast. But first, 
I want to talk a little bit about you and your career. I was just amazed how many different stops and you kind of um, really had to work hard to continue your professional career. And so one of the many things I'm curious about is did you have a favorite place you traveled and played in, whether it's a city or a favorite country that stands out to you? Uh, in terms of internationally, uh, probably be a, a split between my very brief time in Italy. Yeah. And then, uh, I had an extended, I played a pretty much a full season in Australia. That was my very last year that I played, uh, took the whole family out. It was more of a, uh, you know, an extended paid vacation. <laughs> um, even though I trust me, I was working, uh, plenty hard enough, but my family was able to enjoy, uh, different culture. Uh, my, my kids fully embraced the, the, the culture there. My, my son played rugby. My daughter participated in gymnastics. Um, we were on, on Christmas Day. We were at, on the beach at a water park, which is a little bit different than Indianapolis. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so so it was um, so I would say in terms of internationally, it would be those two. And then um, here, you know, in, in the States, um, I, I feel like I was always in a in a colder location, colder climate. So anytime I got to a warm city, I was happy. <laughs> That's true. I looked down at least in terms of the NBA, New Jersey, Indiana. You did have exactly. Portland. That that was a good one. We'll have that stop coming up. Seattle and Milwaukee. So yeah, yeah you, you yeah. never got real south uh, here. In the exactly. United States. I did. I did play a year in Memphis. I was in Memphis for a year. Um, those other That's stops, right. like Seattle, was a short time. <laughs> uh, fun fact: that was Kevin Durant's rookie year. Uh, was there for about a there for about a month. But um, that that northwest in the winter is a miserable rain, so I, I wasn't uh, you know there in the summertime and there in the winter are two different things. And you also played for nearly twenty franchises, so I got to ask: Did you keep any one thing from every franchise? Do you have one jersey from every every stop or anything like that to commemorate or remember your time there? Uh, man, that's a big number. I didn't realize that a lot of those were, were short stints, yeah. but. Uh, um, I probably have something from everywhere, whether it's a practice jersey or shorts or something. I don't. I, it's not necessarily uh, hung up on a wall, but um, I, I, I probably do have something from everywhere. The other thing, the last thing before we get into basketball, I'm curious is just what it's been like for you these last maybe four, five, six years having two kids and in, in high school. I think your son's off to college now, and and just mm -hmm. see them excel in their basketball career, and for you to go from from player to professional player in the NBA to now dad. What is that like? Yeah, well, um, I, I, I'll say this. I've, I've always uh, considered myself dad first. And then, uh, you know, I've always tried to be have, have an active role, even when I'm on the road and so on and so forth. Um, but, but yeah, it, it's been incredibly rewarding to, to watch both of my, my kids play basketball and grow and, um, uh, you know, when I first retired, I was probably in a place physically where I could continue to go on and play. But I decided that I wanted to be around 100 um, percent of the time as much as I could be to especially, um, you know, had a son who was entering his uh, early teenage years at that time. He was, I don't know, 11 or 12 years old. So uh, that's an imp uh, important time to be around full time. But, um, you know, watching the two of them grow as people and basketball players is, you know, I got a lot more fulfillment uh, out of that, even more so than than my own um, professional career. So it's been it's been a great it's been a great journey. And, and I'm uh, looking forward to to the, the remainder of the journey. Did you ever coach them or did you strategically say, hey, they can come to me if they want, but let me sit this this one out and let them just play? 
Um, I actually did coach my son and uh, my daughter one year, one year of okay. like rec, bas- rec basketball, nothing too, too stressful. But my son, we did his high school year. We put an AAU team, AAU team together and played uh, three consecutive years of AAU basketball. Those were actually his only years of basketball. He's one of the one of the few uh, kids who, who waited until high school to get into the AAU ranks. But uh, that was a really fun time, you know, traveling around, playing games. We had a, a great group of kids, a great group of uh, parents. Um, so uh, I'll never forget those moments with the, with that group. And so now you're serving in year four uh, as an analyst uh, among the Pacer networks and around basically at every home game and uh, a grouping of, of road games, probably a dozen at least. And what what do you make of what the Pacers have been able to do this year? I th- I've personally been quite impressed with the fact that they're 26 and 15, just one loss uh, more than last year when they had Oladipo for this for the majority of this early part of the season, and they're right there in that that second tier of what I call in the Eastern Conference. There's Milwaukee, and then their next grouping, and the Pacers are right there. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I've been been thoroughly impressed with a the the management's ability to to put a, a team together. You have virtually half the team is uh, new guys who are expected to come in and contribute in a hurry. Um, and then you, you go down, go down a tick to the to the coaching staff. Um, really got to give Nate McMillan and, and that staff a lot of credit for establishing a certain culture of how they play. Uh, you know how they work, their their competitive nature, what they do on the defensive end of the floor, and then him giving you know each and every guy the latitude to go out there and play their game, play freely, play aggressive, and um, you know, and then you, you go down another tick to the players. They obviously got to go out there on the floor and get it done. Uh, give them a lot of credit for um, encouraging each other. Every guy wants to see the next guy do well. Uh, um, you know, when injuries happen, which those have happened and occurred at a, at a high level in this early part of the season, they they don't seem to miss a beat. You know, the next the next guy comes in there and produces that you know and at extremely high rate. So um, I, I'm really impressed with with what they've done. And from that. You mentioned it from the the two seed to the to the six seed. Right now, you have to keep up, I would say, because you almost got to win three out of four games to stay in the hunt. Um, and, and that's what the Pacers are doing. Yeah, it's just a three games separation between Miami at number two. They're twenty eight and twelve, and then Philly, who the Pacers just leapfrogged with their win here recently. They've beat them twice here over the last couple of weeks. Um, I want to go back to your first point because I think that's not getting enough attention, and that's just the fit and, and finding like parts. Maybe no ego guys. That's something that I, I know Malcolm Brogdon. A newcomer has highlighted several times in our postgame conversations how this is an ego-free locker room. And as a guy like yourself who's been in many different locker rooms, for one, how long do you feel like it it often takes to become comfortable and learn each other's tendencies? And then also, Eddie, how rare is it to to kind of have that ego-free locker room? Because I got to believe just about everyone in this league has one of some kind. Yeah, I don't think you get to this level without some sort of ego and some sort of, uh, you know, don't take it the wrong way, but some sort of cockiness about yourself. Um, you, you you have to you have to have that sort of mindset to know that you can go out there and compete, compete with with the best players in the entire world. And that's what you, you know, that's what it takes to get to this level. However, you got to you got to know when to tame that down and, and temper it and have a certain expectation about yourself. But um Again, Nate McMillan has established a certain type of culture with, with with these guys, and everyone is from you know outside looking in. It, it seems as though they've completely 
bought into that and know that if they are um, humble and, and, and supportive of each other, it's for the betterment of the entire unit. And, and that's what they've been able to execute for this entire season. Domas, who leads the team in scoring, is kind of that heart and soul, I think. But Malcolm is the leader. He, he's the tone setter for this group. Have you been surprised at anything that Malcolm has provided at this point? Um, or maybe just the way in which he's been able to contribute despite his injuries? Yeah, I think the, the biggest question mark for me com, coming in for, for, for Malcolm was he, he I knew he was a fantastic player. I loved the way he played. I was always a fan of his. The, the question was, can you play the point guard position, you know, for an extended amount of time? He, he was asked to do that uh, sparingly in Milwaukee. You, you had Eric Bledsoe and obviously Giannis controls the ball for the majority of the game with that team for good reason. Um, and, and, and Malcolm was on the wing and, and kind of playing his, his part there. He was a great defender there, but didn't have the expectation and the responsibility put placed upon him that he has here. And he has fully embraced it. He's done a f- fantastic job at it. He's, you know, arguably one of the best point guards in, in the Eastern conference at this point with the way he's played. Um, so that's what I'm most impressed about is how he's been able to really man that position and, and lead this team. Um, you know, so surprise, I, I hesitate to use the word surprise because yeah. you don't know what anyone's capable of until they're put in that position or given an opportunity. And But I, I will say that I'm thoroughly impressed with what he's done with the opportunity. Yeah, I think we were all curious how he would react to, to being the point guard because he'd really just been that off ball, as Pacers might be familiar with, kind of the George Hill role where you're playing off ball, you're the spacer, and you're knocking down threes. And those following the league will see that's exactly what George Hill now is done. They kind of switch spots in that instance where G Hill's shooting 51% from three, and that's how he's utilized. And Brogdon, who was a 50, member of that 50-40-90 club last year, his numbers are down, but that's not an unexpected, I think, for how often he's shooting and now involved within the offense. He's he's playing a very different position, um, and as a result, his assists and everything have skyrocketed as well. In terms of Domas, do you see him being at least one of two possible representatives for the Pacers in the game? I, I think he has to, you know, garner strong consideration for all-star appearance. And, and you, and, you know, we just mentioned Malcolm, uh, if not for injury, he would 100% be a, a, a very strong consideration. Yeah, hopefully I agree with still, that. Hopefully he still gets the consideration. You know, it's, it, he, he may be, uh, he may not get the consideration he deserves because he was out some, some significant time. So we'll kind of see it where that stands. But, but I would say Domas has been there um, for, for the majority of the season, uh, despite a couple games here and there, but it, it, without question, Domas should be considered a, a an all-star because uh, for the most part, he dominates his position every night. Yeah. Neither will be voted in as a starter. So then it's totally up to the Eastern conference coaches as it relates to the, the bench. And I think they'll absolutely sure. reward the Pacers, and I think it'll probably be Sabonis because of his numbers and because of his durability, whereas Brogdon's essentially missed a third of the year to this point with about five different injuries. No fault of his own, but that's just um, his current reality uh, with everything there. Um, sure. The other thing I think that we should go down the list with what we have seen is the guys that have kind of just played their role, and the guys that jump out to me with that are newcomers T.J. Warren, T.J. McConnell and Justin Holiday, I think each have provided more than I expected from them this year. Yeah, I mean, you for for me, you can go to maybe one through ten and pick a guy who <laughs> who was who was, yeah. who was 
who has really done, you know, a hell of a job with whatever role they've been placed upon him. But the, the guys you mentioned for sure, T.J. Warren, uh, has definitely come in and scored the ball. Not only has he scored the ball, but he's been efficient. He's been a guy who's been shooting, you know, about 50% from the free throw, uh, excuse me, from the field. Um, so he's not, you know, one of these guys who, who at this point is needing volume shots to be effective which is good when you have so many guys who can score the basketball. We just uh, need we just need to see him be a little bit more outspoken and we've seen signs of it yeah. here Eddie here in the last 2 weeks. That that's an interesting development from my standpoint. Yeah, no I agree. I think the little skirmish with uh yeah. with with with, uh, with with Jimmy Butler that kind of you you see his his personality come out a little bit more which which you like to see. Um but one thing I've been really impressed with TJ Warren is he he came over here um you know some people were critical of his lack of defensive ability but I tell you what he's taken the he's taken the challenge and, and he's guarding a lot of times the, the best wing on any given night and he's done a great job with it um you, you mentioned TJ McConnell it, the spark that he provides off the bench is, is invaluable his motor just doesn't stop that's something that you can't teach uh love to have him out on the floor and then um who, who was the third guy Justin Holiday. One Justin of the Pacers' Holiday. last signings, and how critical he's become, especially late in games, right? Yeah, and, and when and I've always I've been a fan of Justin Holiday prior to him getting here. I think he's a guy that um, has to be on the floor. A lot of times, you see Nate McMillan closing out games with him on the floor, um, in large part of, for his versatility. He do, he does a lot of things offensively, but his his one of the his greatest assets is what he's able to do defensively. He can guard you know one through four at at an elite level. So. Um, you know, the acquisition of, of Justin Holiday, was, I think, was huge for, because he does so many different things. With with T.J. Warren and talking about his defense, there's, we've seen that with a lot of guys here come in that aren't known for their defense. In fact, are usually criticized for their defense. Most recently, right, it was Boyan. And I know we a lot of we like to assign a lot of credit to Dan Burke, the longtime assistant, deservedly so. But how much of that, too, is, I think, playing in a successful system and the player just saying, all right, I'll do it. Let's make sacrifices. Let's let's do this. Whereas before in Phoenix, right, he was just asked to score, and so he did it. Yep. Yeah, I, I, th- I think a, a lot of it is attributed to the expectation in the, in the culture. So when you, you put that uniform on with, uh, you know, Dan Burke, Nate McMillan, and those two guys putting such an emphasis on defense, that's just the expectation. There, there's no, like, hey, you, you play on this team, you're going to play defense. Simple as that. Um and, and when you have so many guys that do buy into it, uh, you know, you don't – a lot of guys, uh, when put in that situation, you don't want to be the lone guy getting cooked every single night, right? <laughs> be, be, because yeah, there's not, a pride factor, right, that factors yeah. in. It's like, no, you're not going to score on me. And, again, it goes yeah. back a little bit, I think, to that back and forth with Jimmy Butler. He didn't necessarily um, stop him, but he did slow him down and make him think about things a little bit. Yeah, and, that, and and that's and that's all right. I mean, first of all, there's there's not one guy. Um, you're, you're not guarding these elite players, and and even someone you don't even deem elite. More often than not, this is the NBA. You're not you're not guarding one guy one on one the entire night and stopping them because you know guys. You know the rules have changed. You can't touch guys out on the perimeter. Um, you know guys are just too good for you to stop them one on one all the time. But if you can guard the first and second bounce, and 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 catch those moves, and then and now you know, help defense comes. Now you've done your job, but if you're giving up blow buys, now you're a poor defender. Um, you know, nobody, there's no help defense for a one bounce to the rim. But, um, you know, as a, as a whole, the expectation is, you know, take the challenge, guard your guy, and then the help will come late. Don't expect the, the help to come early. 
Two things I'd like to see improvement here in the second portion of the schedule, uh, Eddie, is I think rebounding, and that's, again, team-wide. It's not Domas or just Miles or T.J. Warren. And then secondly, they, they've got to establish and figure out themselves in late-game situations. Um, that, that has cost them a couple games at least where they've turned it over, probably had a bad out-of-bounds play that just has not been strong at all. Um, would you agree with those and anything else that jumps out at you? Yeah, I, I would definitely say, um, and, and the rebounding thing is definitely a, a team-oriented thing. Um, you know, you got to have um, your guards coming in, helping the big guys. You know, the big guys got to do a, a good job of doing their work early. You, you can't wait for a guy to get in the paint to say, hey, I'm going to box this guy out now because it's, it's too late. A lot of times guys are too big. They push you under the basket, and, and there's offensive rebound. But, um, so, yeah, so that's a team or, team-oriented thing for sure. So, um I think they just got to continue to do that, uh, you know, just continue to work together and uh, and be physical and make sure you're playing defense early on in the clock and control. A lot of times if you don't control dribble penetration, bodies become detached and now you get somebody at a free run for an offensive rebound. So um, if, you, if you're able to dribble con- control dribble penetration, a lot of times bodies can stay on bodies and it's much easier to defensive rebound. And finally, I want to leave you with this because I know you got to get uh, back to your work here. Is Victor Oladipo his impending return right here in just less than two weeks? We're all excited about it, but what type of disruption is necessary, or or do you expect right? Because it's bound to happen with guys playing different positions. I expect Victor to go right into the starting lineup and those sorts of things. However, doesn't it seem like this is a group that is capable of kind of um, handling? this type of um, change fairly well. Yeah, this definitely seems to be a, a type of group where they've, they've just demonstrated their resiliency just by virtue of, of uh, not only Victor's injury, but multiple injuries. So they demonstrated that they're resilient, um, adaptable, and, and can, can make moves when, when necessary. Um, I think it's, I think it's a great time. I mean, obviously first and foremost, you want to make sure Vic, Vic is a hundred percent feels great about his body. Feel, you know, feels great mentally. and can go out there and play a game. But then also, um, you, you like to have a situation where they can go in and start to gel, start to build that chemistry. Um, and if he's able to come back on the 29th and, and, and remain healthy, he's got two, virtually two full months for those guys to figure out that chemistry prior to the playoffs beginning, and, and hopefully they, they enter the playoffs in full swing. Yeah, we may see the Pacers ultimately have the best move at the trade deadline, most impactful move, and it's simply – reinserting Victor Oladipo back into the lineup. It's a subject we'll dive deeper on in upcoming podcasts. But, Eddie, I appreciate you joining me here on the podcast. I enjoy your work both on Fox Sports Indiana and on the Pacers Radio Network, especially those pregame breakdowns when you're on the court at the practice facility and explaining why something is or isn't working. Scott, thank you for having me. Uh, let's, let's do it again sometime. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have to do that. Really enjoy that conversation with Eddie Gill, who's one of the best-dressed media members around the field. Of course, he needs to when he's on Fox Sports Indiana. Sometimes he's got the special jacket and a bow tie, what have you, and it even continues on the road. Even if he's on radio, he'll still dress up and and look sharp, um, the former Pacer. So I appreciate him making time for this episode of the Fieldhouse Files today. If you haven't subscribed to The Athletic already, I'm not sure what you're waiting on, but you can do so right now with 40% off the annual price by going to theathletic.com forward slash theathletic. It 
provides you with these episodes ad-free. gives you access to more than 400 writers across the country so you can follow your favorite teams. Also, make sure you're subscribed to us on Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, do me a big favor. Leave a review and give us five stars. That will wrap up today's episode of The Fieldhouse Files, and I'll talk to you again next week.